Welcome to Nicheless Narrative, Christmas Edition with Shadows Pub. Today I'm bringing you another Lucy Maud Montgomery short story, A Christmas Mistake. Tomorrow is Christmas, announced Teddy Grant exultantly as he sat on the floor struggling manfully with a refractory bootlace that was knotted and tagless and stubbornly refusing to go into the eyelets of Teddy's patched boots. Ain't I glad, though. Hurrah! His mother was washing the breakfast dishes in a dreary, listless sort of way. She looked tired and broken-spirited. Teddy's enthusiasm seemed to grate on her, for she answered sharply, Christmas indeed. I can't see that it's anything for us to rejoice over. Other people may be glad enough, but with winter coming on, I'd sooner it was spring than Christmas. Very Alice, do lift that child out of the ashes and put its shoes and stockings on. Everything seems to be at sixes and sevens here this morning. Keith, the oldest boy, was coiled up on the sofa, calmly working out some algebra problems, quite oblivious to the noise around him. But he looked up from his slate with his pencil suspended above an obstinate equation to the claim of the flourish. Christmas comes but once a year, and then Mother wishes it wasn't here. I don't then, said Gordon, son number two, who was preparing his own noon lunch of bread and molasses at the table and making an atrocious mess of crumbs and sugary syrup over everything. I knew one thing to be thankful for, and that is there will be no school. We'll have a whole week of holidays. Gordon was noted for his aversion to school and his affection for holidays. And we're going to have turkey for dinner, declared Teddy, getting up off the floor and rushing to secure his share of bread and molasses and cranberry sauce and, and pound cake, ain't we, Ma? No, you are not, said Mrs. Grant desperately, dropping the dishcloth, snatching the baby on her knee to wipe the crust of cinders and molasses from the chubby pink and white face. You may as well know it now, children. I've kept it from you so far in hopes that something would turn up but nothing has. We can't have any Christmas dinner tomorrow. We can't afford it. I've pinched and saved every way I could for the last month, hoping I'd be able to get a turkey for you. Anyhow, you'll have to do without it. There's that doctor's bill to pay and a dozen other bills coming in. And people say they can't wait. I suppose they can't, but it's kind of hard, I must say. The little Grant stood with open mouths and horrified eyes. No turkey for Christmas? Was the world coming to an end? Wouldn't the government interfere if anyone ventured to dispense with a Christmas celebration? The glutinous Teddy stuffed his fist into his eyes and lifted up his voice. Keith, who understood better than the others the look on his mother's face, took his blub blubbering young brother by the collar and marched him into the porch. The twins, seeing the summary proceeding, swallowed the outcries they had intended to make, although they couldn't keep a few big tears from running down their, their fat cheeks. Mrs. Grant looked pityingly at the disappointed faces about her. Don't cry, children. You'll make me feel worse. We're not the only ones who'll have to do without a Christmas turkey. We ought to be very thankful that we have anything to eat at all. I hate to disappoint you, but it can't be helped. Never mind, Mother, said Keith comfortingly relaxing his hold upon the porch door, whereupon it suddenly flew open and precipitated Teddy, who had been struggling at the handle, heels over head backwards. We know you've done your best. It's been a hard year for you. Just wait, though. I'll soon be a grown-up, 
and then you and these greedy youngsters shall feast on turkey every day of the year. Hello, Teddy, have you got on your feet again? Mind, sir, no more blubbering. When I'm a, a man, announced Teddy with dignity, I'd just like to see you put me in the porch. And I mean to have turkey all the time, and I won't give you any either. All right, you greedy small boy. Only take yourself off to school now and let us hear no more squeaks out of you. Tramp, all of you, give Mother a chance to get her work done. Mrs. Grant got up and fell to work at her dishes with a brighter face. Well, we mustn't give in. Perhaps things will be better after a while. I'll make a famous bread pudding, and you can boil some molasses taffy, and ask those little uh, Smithsons next door to help you pull it. They won't whine for turkey. I'll be bound. I don't suppose they've ever tasted such a thing in all their lives. If I could afford it, I'd have them all in to dinner with us. The sermon Mr. Evans preached last Sunday kind of stirred me up. He said we ought all, always to try and share our Christmas joy with some poor souls who had never learned the meaning of the word. I can't do as much as I'd like to. It was different when your father was alive. The noisy group grew silent, as they always did, when their father was spoken of. He had died the year before, and since his death, the little, boy had had a hard, the little family had had a hard time. Keith, to hide his feeling, began to hector the rest. Mary Alice, do hurry up. Here, you twin nuisances, get off to school. If you don't, you'll be late, and then the master will give you a whipping. He won't answered the irrepressible Teddy. He never whips us. He doesn't. He stands us on the floor sometimes, though, he added, remembering the many times his own chubby legs had been seen to better advantage on the school platform. That man, said Mrs. Grant, alluding to the teacher, makes me nervous. He's the most abstracted creature I've ever saw in my life. It's a wonder to me he doesn't walk straight into the river some day. You'll meet him meandering along the street, gazing into vacancy, and you'll never, he'll never see you or hear a word you say half the time. Yesterday, said Gordon, chuckling over the remembrance, he came with a big piece of paper he'd picked up on the entry floor in one hand and his hat in the other, and he'd stuffed his hat into the coal scuttle and hung up the paper on a nail as grave as you please. Never knew the difference till Ned Slocum went and told him. He's always doing things like that. Keith had collected his books and now marched his brothers and sisters off to school. Left alone with the baby, Mrs. Grant betook herself to her work with heavy heart. But a second interruption broke the progress of her dishwashing. I declare, she said with a surprised glance through the window, if there isn't that absent-minded school teacher coming through the yard, what can he want? Dear me. I do hope Teddy hasn't been cutting capers in school again. For the teacher's last call had been in October and had been occasioned by the fact that the irrepressible Teddy would persist in going to school with his pockets filled with live crickets and in driving them harnessed to strings up and down the aisle when the teacher's back was turned. All mild methods of punishment having failed, the teacher had called to talk it over with Mrs. Grant with the happy result that Teddy's behavior had improved in the manner of crickets at least. But it was about time for another outbreak. Teddy had been unnaturally good for too long a time. Poor Mrs. Grant feared that it was the calm before a storm, and it was with nervous haste that she went to the door and greeted the young teacher. He was a slight, pale, boyish-looking fellow, 
with an abstracted, musing look in his large, dark eyes. Mrs. Grant noticed with amusement that he wore a white straw hat in spite of the season. His eyes were directed to her face with his usual unseeing gaze. Just as though he was looking through me at something a thousand miles away, said Mrs. Grant afterwards. I believe he was, too. His body was right there on the step before me. But where his soul was is more than you or I or anyone could tell. Good morning, he said absently. I've just called on my way to school with a message from Mrs. Miller. Miss Miller, she wants you all to come up and have Christmas dinner with her tomorrow. For land's sakes, Miss Grant said blankly. I don't understand. To herself, she thought, I wish I dared take him and shake him to find if he's walking in his sleep or not. You and all the children, every one, went on the teacher dreamily as if he were reciting a lesson learned beforehand. She told me to tell you to be sure and come. Shall I say that you will? Oh, yes, that is, I, I suppose, I, I, I don't know, said Mrs. Grant incoherently. I never expected. Yes, you may tell her we'll come, she concluded abruptly. Thank you, said the abstracted messenger, gravely lifting his hat and looking squarely through Mrs. Grant into an unknown region. When he'd gone, Mrs. Grant went in and sat down, laughing, sort of in a hysterical way. I wonder if he's all right. Could Cornelia really have told him? She must, I suppose, but it's enough to take one's breath. Mrs. Grant and Cornelia Miller were cousins and had once been the closest of friends. But that was years ago, before some spiteful reports and ill-natured gossip had come between them, making only a little rift at first that soon widened into a chasm of coldness and alienation. Therefore, this invitation surprised Miss, Mrs. Grant greatly. Miss Cornelia was a maiden lady of certain years, with a comfortable bank account and a handsome, old-fashioned house on the hill behind the village. She always boarded the school teachers and looked after them maternally. She was an active church worker and a tower of strength to struggling ministers and their families. If Cornelia has seen fit to at last hold out the hand of reconciliation, I'm glad enough to take it. Dear knows, I've wanted to make up often enough, but I didn't think she ever would. We've both of us got too much pride and stubbornness. It's the Turner blood in us that does it. The Turners were all too set, but I mean to do my part now she has done hers and Mrs. Grant made a final attack on the dishes with a beaming face. When the little Grants came home and heard the news, Teddy stood on his head to express his delight. The twins kissed each other. Mary Ellison and Gordon danced around the kitchen. Keith thought himself too big to portray any joy over Christmas dinner, but he whistled while doing the chores until the bear welcomed in the yard rang. And Teddy, in spite of unheard of misdemeanors, was not collared on, off into the porch once. When the young teacher got home from school that evening, he found the yellow house full of all sorts of delectable odors. Miss Cornelia herself was concocting mince pies after the famous family recipe, while her ancient and faithful handmaiden, Hannah, was straining into molds the cranberry jelly. The open pantry door revealed a tempting array of delicious Christmas delicacies. Did you call and invite the Smithsons up to dinner, as I told you? asked Miss Cornelia anxiously. Yes, was the dreamy response as he glided through the kitchen and vanished into the hall. 
Miss Cornelia crimped the edges of her pies delicately with a relieved air. I made certain he'd forget, she said. You just have to watch him as if he were a mere child. Didn't I catch him yesterday starting off to school in his carpet slippers? And in spite of me, he got away today in that ridiculous summer hat. You better set that jelly out in the out pantry to cool, Hannah. It looks good. We'll give those poor little Smithsons a feast for once in their, their lives if they never get another. At this juncture, the hall door flew open and Mr. Palmer appeared on the threshold. He seemed considerably agitated, and for once his eyes had lost their look of space-searching. Miss Miller, I'm afraid I did make a mistake this morning. It just dawned on me. I'm almost sure that I called at Miss, Mrs. Grant's and invited her and the family instead of the Smithsons, and she said they would come. Miss Cornelia's face was a study. Mr. Palmer, she said, flourishing her crimping fork tragically. Do you mean to say you went and invited Linda Grant here tomorrow? Linda Grant, of all the pe women in this world. I did, said the teacher with pentian wretchedness. It's very careless me. I, I am very sorry. What can I do? I'll go down and tell him I made a mistake if you like. You can't do that, groaned Mrs. Cornelia, sitting down and wrinkling up her forehead in dire perplexity. It would never do in the world. For pity's sake, let me think for a minute. Miss Cornelia did think, to good purpose evidently, for her forehead smoothed out as her meditations proceeded and her face brightened. Then she get up briskly. Well, you've done it, no mistake. I don't know that I'm sorry either. Anyhow, we'll leave it as it is, but you must go straight down now and invite the Smithsons too, and for pity's sake, don't make any more mistakes. When he'd gone, Miss Cornelia opened her heart to Hannah. I never could have done it myself. Never. The Turner is too strong on me. But I'm glad it's done. I've been wanting for years to make up with Linda. And now the chance has come. Thanks to that blessed, blundering boy. I mean to make the most of it. Mine, Hannah. You never whisper a word about it being a mistake. Linda must never know. Poor Linda. She's had a hard time. Hannah, we must make some more pies. And I must go straight down to the store and get some more Santa Claus stuff. I've only got enough to go around the Smithsons. When Mrs. Grant and her family arrived at the Yellow House next mor morning, Miss Cornelia herself ran out bareheaded to meet them. The two women shook hands a little stiffly, and then a, a rill of long repressed affection trickled out from some secret spring in Miss Cornelia's heart, and she kissed her newfound old friend tenderly. Linda returned the kiss warmly, and both felt the old-time friendship was theirs again. The little Smithsons all came, and they and the little Grant sat down on the long, bright dining room to a dinner that made history in their small lives, and was eaten over again in happy dreams for months. How those children did eat, and how beaming Miss Cornelia and grim-faced, soft-hearted Hannah and even the absent-minded teacher himself enjoyed watching them. After dinner, Miss Cornelia distributed among the delightful little souls the presents she had bought them and then turned them loose in the big shining kitchen to have a taffy pull. And they had added to their heart's content. As for the shocking, taffy state into which they got their own rosy faces, and that once immaculate domain, well, as Miss Cornelia and Hannah never said one word about it, neither will I. The four women enjoyed the afternoon in their own way, and the schoolteacher buried himself in algebra to his own great satisfaction. 
When her guests went home in the starlit December dusk, Miss Cornelia walked part of the way with them and had a long, confidential talk with Mrs. Grant. When she returned, it was to find Hannah groaning in and over the kitchen and the school teacher dreamily trying to clean some molasses off his boots with the kitchen hairbrush. Long-suffering Miss Cornelia rescued her property and dispatched Mr. Palmer into the woodshed to find the shoe brush. Then she sat down and laughed. Hannah, what will become of that boy yet? There's no counting on what he'll do next. I don't know how he'll ever get through the world. I'm sure, but I'll look after him while he's here at least. I owe him a huge debt of gratitude for this Christmas blender. What an awful mess this place is in. But Hannah, did you ever in the world see anything so delightful as that little Tommy Smithson stuffing himself with plum cake, not to mention Teddy Grant? It did good just to see them. Sometimes mistakes become needs. Miss Cornelia and Mrs. Grant needed to get past their own stubborn pridefulness in order to reconcile. It took the innocence of a distracted character to misdirect an invite to just the right person. In this season of good cheer towards others, do you need to have an invitation misdirected to just the right person to create an opportunity to reconcile a difference that should not have been? Thank you for listening to the third of the Christmas podcasts. The next episode will be Stephen Leacock's The Heirs of Santa Claus. 